I'm not uh, from here originally. And so I've been in the United States for about nine years. Uh, planned to spend one year here doing an internship and some seminary training. And then I met my wife and everything changed. And so been stuck here with a couple of little anchor babies uh, for the last nine years. And so I uh, find myself in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I, I get to be the lead pastor of North Church there. And it's just a, a pleasure to, to, to be able to be here with you guys. And um, it's a pleasure to uh, be a part of a church, uh, especially in Albuquerque, that just is, is committed to, to serving and loving other churches. And when Chuck invited me out here, um, my, my elders were so excited that, that I'd be able to, to come and, and hopefully um, serve you guys this morning. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Philippians 2, 12 through 16 today um, in a sermon that's titled Ordinary Mission for Ordinary People. And so I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we're going to jump right on in. So Father, you are good and you are kind. You love your people. You, you care about your people. But you are a God who, who desires to gather um, people from every tribe and tongue and nation on the face of the earth. And so, Lord, we know that your mission continues. Uh, you have a desire um, to see your elect gathered. And, Father, you want to use your church to do that. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that, um, that you would just stir our hearts, soften them, send your spirit in power. Um, to lead us and to guide us, to open our eyes and uh, open our ears and um, just, just don't allow us uh, the, the ability just to kind of walk out of here and not have our hearts changed or our hearts softened uh, towards the work that you have for us to do um, in the nations and then also here at home. And so stir us, we pray, um, fix our eyes upon Christ. Um, would, we, would we trust him and know him in greater, greater measure? Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that the first thing that probably pops to mind when you think about the word missionaries is like we just just saw. You know, um, we had Stephen, and then we had, um, you know, not allowed to say her name. I don't know her name yet. So, hey, easy go. I can't, can't let anything slip if I don't know your name. So, um, you know, to, um, to, to go to the nations and to, you know, basically forsake all, you know, sell everything you own, trust Jesus, move and know that Jesus has, has a work for you to do amongst unreached people groups, underreached people groups, and, and to proclaim Christ in areas that people have not heard his name before. I know that for many of us, when we think about that, that that, that is just so exciting, right? So profoundly exciting to think about this, this adventure that, that missionaries get to go on. I had some friends of mine, they, they were from Canada, um, and they went to, to be missionaries in Jamaica for five years. And they prepared for their missions work, and they went and they raised support among multiple churches in the area where they were from. And, and the community, I, it was a very small kind of Mennonite, kind of Dutch Reformed community, they were, the community was so proud to send this family to Jamaica to go and do missions work in Jamaica. And when they returned back to Canada on, on furlough, um, which is just simply just a, just a fancy word for coming back to visit, to rest, and to, to continue to raise support, um, you know, those, those churches and this community just fawned around them. They were so passionate and excited that the mighty missionaries had returned. They wanted to hear stories from the field. Tell me, tell me about the witch doctors that you met and, and how did they, they come to Christ? And tell me about all, all of the brokenness that you saw and, and how you were able to minister in such a profound and beautiful way. In many ways, in the community, they, they were the missionaries 
and everybody around them inspired to be like them. Man, I just wish I could be like you, missionary. I just wish I I had the faith that you had. I just wish that God would call me to go and do missions work like you're doing. But after five years, they returned home from the field, went back to their community, and they weren't going to go back to Jamaica. They felt that the Lord had, had closed doors for them there. And when they settled back into life, the celebrity fell away. No longer were they the special missionaries. No longer were they the champions of the community. No longer were were people fawning around them and wanting to hear stories from them. They were just ordinary people once again. My question for us today is this. Were they any less missionaries when they returned home? than when they were in Jamaica. And so if you've got your Bible, Philippians 2, 12 through 16 is where we're at today. It was the scripture reading, but we're going to read it again because I like reading the Bible. All right, Philippians 2, um, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that you did not run in vain or labor in vain." Perhaps the most amazing missionary in the history of the world is the Apostle Paul. He is writing this letter to a church in Philippi. Stories of Paul's missionary journeys fill the pages of the New Testament. He's a man that probably had about 30 years as a follower of Jesus. And you would say, man, he used those 30 years extensively well. He had a spectacular impact. Most Bibles, in fact, at the back of them will have maps, and they will have maps of Paul's missionary journey showing us the the ways that Paul went through the ancient world and the areas that he visited. The first and the second and the third missionary journey, they're remarkable. The the book of Acts is filled with stories of of what he encountered and and what he went through and the things that, that happened on his journeys. And then the pages of the New Testament are filled with letters, him writing back to churches that he planted, churches that he visited. But have you ever wondered what happened to the churches after Paul left? See, in many of the churches, he he was there under a year. For many of the churches that he was in, he, he went, he started it, he got it going, and then he moved on. Book of Acts tells us how he left Ephesus, and he was in Ephesus for three years, which is about the longest stint that he spent at any church in all of his missionary time. And he said, I've got to go. I've got to keep planting churches. I've got to keep going forward. See, here's the thing, though. We know that Paul got the churches started. We know he was a spectacular church planter, a missionary gatherer. But then... We see that when he writes letters to them, the churches are not just filled with the same people that he left. No, there are more people there. 
More people have shown up at the churches since Paul left than when he was there. Now, a lot of times the churches have gone off track. A lot of times things have gone haywire. A lot of times things have been difficult. And so Paul is writing back to the churches to say, okay, guys, here's how you're off and here's how you get back to the gospel. Here's how you get back to things of first importance. But we often don't just reckon with the simple fact that the converts that Paul saw in his ministry, there are more converts when he writes back to the church. There are more converts in these places than there, there were when he got there. It's not like he showed up, he saw a hundred people saved, he appointed elders, he left, and when he writes back, there's still just that same hundred people. No, there are more and more and more people at these churches after Paul leaves than, then he was there, than when he was there. And in many ways, that's why I chose the text for today. See, see, Paul's exhortation in the book of Philippians, he's not telling the church off. He's not saying, hey, you're all messing up. No, no, he's just simply exhorting the Christians that are at the church in Philippi to continue to live godly lives in Christ in the midst of a dark and lost world. But Paul also tells the church this really, really interesting thing. He tells them in verse 15 of our text, shine as lights in the world. Shine as lights in the world in the world. He's exhorting them on the type of life that they should be living. Godly, blameless, be, be, be godly Christians, live a life that is different, and in doing so, shine as lights into a dark and broken world. But how do they do that? How, how is the person at the church in Philippi going to shine as a light into the world? Is Paul asking them to become super apostles? Is he asking them to become mega missionaries? Is he asking them, okay, I'm going to need you to come on my journeys to go and plant some churches before you can shine as a light in the world in your own community? Well, no, not at all. No, it seems to be a call in Paul's letters to, to do mission work, to see people coming to know Jesus in the places where you are. You see, Paul's church plants, Paul's call to the Christians in those church plants actually isn't very impressive at all. He's not asking them to sell everything they own, to follow him, to go and do these, these amazing things. Now, for some people, that's what God calls them to do. We saw two of them this morning. God did that for me. I don't live in the same place that I grew up. All my family is back home in Australia. And I really felt the Lord calling me here to the United States to sell everything I own, to follow him and to trust him. But for the average, the ordinary, the normal Christian, that's not what God's calling you to do. Many of us thinking about missions and having to recontextualize our understanding of missions this mission of shining as a light in the community that you are in, being a, a, a normal Christian, an ordinary Christian in the place that you find yourself, seems kind of ordinary. And in our world, you want to be anything but ordinary, do you not? Well, I don't know about that. You see, it's a contrary message to be ordinary in the churches that we grew up in and in the culture that we exist in. But I think it's the most important thing for us if we are to truly grasp what God has called each and every Christian to do. See, most of us aren't called 
to, to go to India or to go to Eastern Europe or to go to a country that we didn't grow up in. Now, we're called to support that work, absolutely, but God has a work for us to do in the here and now, in the communities that we inhabit. So today, we're just going to simply look at ordinary mission. What is ordinary mission and why is it important? The first reality of ordinary mission is that we need to embrace the ordinary. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in Australia in the 90s. And Australia is just as Western as, as you guys are here, just as Western in its culture, just as Western in its thinking, just, just as, as, as normal as, as anyone else here would experience, but we just have kangaroos. <coughs> and I was a part of a church in the 90s. I was a part of a church, and I wasn't a Christian, but I was a part of a church, and I was close enough to friends who knew that, that they were being told that the only way that anybody was ever going to be interested in Jesus, the only way that anybody was ever going to come to Jesus, the only way that Jesus was ever going to be relevant to the culture was if you could make him cool enough, interesting enough, amazing enough that people would want to show up and enjoy the show. Maybe, and this happened, this, these are real examples, maybe... It was having an event at a basketball stadium where you'd get some strong men who could tear phone books and could, could bend frying pans. And then just kind of at the culmination of their show, they say, well, Jesus is the real strong man. The biggest bait and switch you've ever seen. But maybe it was a church's series on not the gospel, but six steps to a dynamic and victorious family life. Or how to get your teenager to succeed and to triumph. Because it was always about victory. Not just, not just happy to have victory in Christ, but, but victory to, to, to lead the biggest thing, to be the most important, to, to be the most relevant and the most spectacular. Everything about ministry and about being a Christian in the 90s that was sold to us was that, that if you followed Jesus, you'd be special and amazing and excellent and, and things would go well for you. And if product wasn't excellent, if the product wasn't special, if things weren't amazing, then man, it probably meant that God wasn't going to honor it, that God wasn't in it. See, many of us who, who were experiencing ministry at that time, we've seen the fruit of it, and it's been a lot of emptiness. And sadly, I think that the church still continues to pursue these ways of power today. But I don't actually see anything like that in the history of the mission of the church. In the scriptures and for most of church history, the church of Jesus Christ has grown not through being the most amazing, spectacular, powerful, you know, with the most dynamic speakers and leaders, but simply through ordinary Christians understanding what God has called them to do. In fact, Paul exhorts the church in Thessalonica to this. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12, We urge you, brothers, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Not too many series on six steps to walk quietly and to be dependent on no one, is there? 
See, Paul's exhortation to the church is never and has never been to be the best, the fastest, the smartest, the most flashy, the most fancy. No, we are to embrace ordinariness. And see, we don't begrudgingly live ordinary lives. This is not something that we're like, ah, I have to be ordinary. This sucks. Like, don't you just know my potential? Don't you know how special I am? How special, how amazing I am? No, no, no. It's not a bad thing to go about your business, your life, your relationships, your marriage, your, your parenting, and be godly. In fact, it's biblically commanded so. Friends, we are needed to embrace the ordinary, to live ordinary, to, to just be God's people, to experience God's grace in the ordinary. Not in the flashy, not in the fancy, not in, 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 in the biggest kind of youth conference or emotionally manipulative service we can find ourselves in, but, but in the day-to-day. Jesus comes into the ordinary takes on ordinary, becomes ordinary, and in many ways lives an ordinary life. See, in ordinary mission, not only do we embrace the ordinary, but we live ordinary. This means that we go to work. We raise our families. We love our spouses. We're, We're members of just local churches. Not because they're the fastest or the best or the most amazing, but because they're faithful to the Word of God. See, the beauty of ordinary people like, like myself and yourself being on ordinary mission is this. It, it just looks like us going about our lives, being faithful with, with just special intentionality. See, Paul's exhortation to both the Philippians and the Thessalonians is the same. Go about your lives, be godly, be kind, and live as a contrast to the darkness of our world. Do not participate in the works of darkness. But go about and let the light of Christ shine through you as you live an ordinary life. But I think it's even deeper than Paul's commands to us. I I think it comes from Jesus himself. And he commands his disciples here in John 20, 21. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so we just need to ask the question, if, if Jesus is sending us as the Father sent him, How did the Father send Jesus? You see, Jesus could have come in power. He could have come down in chariots. He could have descended upon the temple. He could have descended upon the royal place clothed in a bright raiment. And he could have said, I'm here. It's my kingdom and I'm making it so. That's not how it worked. You see, Jesus was sent into the ordinary. To ordinary parents, Mary and Joseph in a less than ordinary place, Nazareth, to live and to survive in a simple way. You see, Jesus does pretty extraordinary things in his ministry, but he calls very, very ordinary men and women to follow him. There's nothing spectacular about the disciples. There's nothing spectacular about the apostles. They're just ordinary people who worked normal jobs, who had normal families, and Jesus calls them. He doesn't go to the colleges of the day. He doesn't go to find the elite. He doesn't go to find the smartest and the best and the brightest. No, he he calls fishermen and tax collectors. He 
calls their families. He, he redeems the blind and lepers, and, and they follow him. And then he does some pretty extraordinary things through them. You see, the Father sent Jesus into the world to redeem it in such a way that Jesus became like us in every way but without sin. See, but the Bible is, is very clear that Jesus was non-remarkable. Isaiah 53 says that he had no beauty or form that we should desire him. He, he looked normal, but he comes to set all things right again, to bring the light of life in the kingdom of God to those who are living far off in darkness. And he does that by incarnating, by, by becoming a part of the culture, by living amongst those who are lost in darkness. He shines as a light to those around him. So when we think about mission. Friends, we need to erase this view of it being something other than, of being it something that, that only the elite are called to. Now, praise God that he calls people to go to the ends of the earth. That's a beautiful calling. It's a spectacular calling. But in many ways, it's a calling to go and die. Die to your desires. Die to, to, to the ways you want things to be. Go and think of yourself as nothing and pour yourself out as a drink offering. And it's not just to those who go to the ends of the earth, that that is the call. That's the call upon all Christians. You see, we all know that the Lord Jesus has been sent to us to save us, to care about us. But he came down, and he came down to shine as a light in darkness. You see, when we think about ordinary mission, not only do we embrace the ordinary, live ordinarily, but, but Jesus calls us to reach the ordinary. He calls us to reach the ordinary. See, the beauty of just being incarnational, embracing the ordinary, living ordinary lives, is that we are, in many ways, we're, we're poised to pounce on our prey. Not, not the, the, the upper echelons of society, which, which we're never going to run in, by the way, but to reach just the people in our lives. Not with rehearsed scripts about Jesus, flashy events to invite them to, or even having exactly the right answers to, to the Christian faith. But we reach those who are in our lives, our friends, our family, our, our co-workers, our neighbors. God has put us in places in his world so that we might be able to reach those whose lives we are a part of. Prayerfully lovingly and intentionally let's look at prayerfully to begin with one of my favorite and scariest verses in the new testament comes out of colossians 4 it's colossians 4 3 where paul is asking the church in colossi to pray for him and this is what he says he says pray also for us that god may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of christ See, I, I hold just, just a theology that, that tells me that God is not stingy in handing out grace. That God is, is not slow to, to save. That God is not kind of holding back, waiting for the right people to trust in him. But I hold a theology that God really, 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 really wants to save people. Really loves the lost really has a deep concern for those who are far from him. And God wants to bring them into his family. His heart is towards that end. 
and that God wants to use his church, his people, to achieve that end. I just really think that God wants to save a ton of people, like millions, billions even. But too often, we're not aware of what he's doing, and we're not in tune with that reality. You see, when we're not in tune with God, a really good way to align our will with God is to pray, is to pray to him and to trust him in prayer. And in this passage, we're being invited to pray that God might open doors for us so that we might be able to share the good news of Jesus. It's a scary prayer. Lord, would you open a door so that I might be able to share Jesus with those in my life? I prayed it once, just once, because it was terrifying. No, I prayed a lot, but I was a new Christian, um, and I got saved. Uh, when I got saved, I was, I was a member of the Australian Federal Police, and I worked out uh, on a really remote defense facility in the middle of the Australian outback. Uh, interestingly, I was also the, the base snake catcher. And so if a snake came in, I would catch the snake and release the snake, and it's about the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Because Australia has like 18 of the 20 world's most deadly snakes. Uh, and I got trained how to catch deadly snakes and like let them out. I was like was a clo- this close to being Steve Irwin. Like this close. <sighs> and what we would do is because it was about 30 miles out of town where, where we worked, we'd have a shift bus. And the shift bus would basically go and pick up all of the officers and we'd drive out for our shift. We'd do 12 hours and then we'd come back home. And, you know, you kind of took turns in driving the bus. And I lived really, really close to this guy whose name was Anastasios Marcos. And he is a, a Greek-Australian guy. And you know what? Stacy was far from Jesus. I'm not going to go much further into that. He was just far from Jesus. And we were driving the shift back bus around after night shift, and we're dropping people off in different areas of town. And, you know, we're about as far away from our homes as we can be, and we're about to drop the last guy off, and then Stacy and I drive home. He drops me off, and then we go, go to sleep because we've just been on night shift for 12 hours. And I just prayed. I was like, I'd read Colossians 4, brand new Christian. And I was like, Lord, would you open a door for me to share the gospel? I just left it there. And we're driving, 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 dropping guys off, dropping guys off. And we finally dropped the last guy off. And I'm in the front seat with Stacy. And we, we drop the guy off. He closes the door. And I'm just like so exhausted, 12 hours of night shift. And I've just got nothing left in the tank. And I've just prayed this prayer. And then Stacy turns and he looks to me and he says, so tell me about this Jesus guy. I was like, what? Like, did I pray that prayer out loud because I'm so tired? Is, what happened here? And all that it was, was that, was that Jesus was answering that prayer. Lord, did you open a door for me to be able to share who you are, your love, your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your kindness with somebody who doesn't know you? And I'm praying in line with the will of God. And God opened the door. And I got to share Jesus with him, and he got plugged in at the church that I was at. And you know what? I don't know where he's at today, but I do know that Jesus was pursuing that man. And he used me to do it. And I was a little, I was a baby Christian, so I was just able to share my experience of Jesus, what he had done in my life, how I'd been transformed from, from being a hedonistic, wicked man to a man who was Still pretty hedonistic, still pretty wicked. But you know what? My heart had changed and I was being transformed and he'd seen the change in me, not something that was outside of me. You see, I was just able to share the gospel with Stacy. 
I was just able to share the gospel. And it's this simple, guys. The gospel is this. God saves sinners. God saves sinners. That's the gospel. It's the good news that God saves sinners. And he does this through Jesus and Jesus alone. He does this through the work of another on our behalf, that Christ himself, the second member of the Trinity, incarnated, came into this world, took on flesh, and lived the perfect life, and then willingly laid down his life, and he he gave himself on a Roman cross. He, He died in our place for our sin. The wages of our sin is death. And that, that, that wages, those, that, that, that reality that we need to pay God for, for all of the wickedness of our life was paid for by another, by a perfect substitute, a perfect sacrifice who hung and died in our place for our sin. And then Jesus, after going to the grave, rises from death three days later because the check cleared, because he paid the price and death had no hold on him. And now he reigns and rules in heaven above, coming again to judge the living and the dead. You see, this good news, that, 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 that's, that's for anyone. You want, you want that? You want new life in Jesus? You want to be forgiven of your sin? You want to be given eternal life in Christ? Believe. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Believe in Christ and receive salvation as a free gift of grace through faith. And so friends, if you feel afraid, you feel unable if you're worried about man if i pray that colossians 4 and and then god does answer that prayer and somebody tells me hey hey tell me about this jesus guy or what's this church thing all about or tell me about christianity here's what you just need to remember that the gospel is the good news that god saves sinners that god saves sinners Here's the thing, guys, if, if you're struggling with that and you can just, just mumble out, yeah, just God saved sinners and Jesus is great and he saved me and, and you don't know what to do from there, just say, hey, would you like to come to church with me? Would you like to come and experience the community that God is gathering together? Would you like to come and experience the love of Christ made tangible through his people? And if you've got more questions, hey, hey, I'd, I'd love to have my pastor talk to you. And you can come and you can listen to the word of God, which we believe is, is, is truth and authoritative for, for our lives and, and leads us in, in paths of goodness and leads us and shows us the true story of the whole world. See, friends, we don't need to have every single answer. And you don't need to be a mega Christian, the, the, the top of the line. You don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to have gone to seminary. You don't, you don't need to have it all together. Here's what you need to do. It's just embrace the ordinary. Live an ordinary, godly life in Christ Jesus and understand that God wants to use you to reach other ordinary people just like you. Just like you. So honor the Lord with your life. Be faithful to embrace the ordinariness of your call. Live faithful to Jesus in the ordinary ways that he has given you and trust him that he wants to reach other people just like you just like you. There was a Sri Lankan evangelist and pastor. Uh, his name was D.T. Niles, and he did a lot of missions work uh, in, in the area of Sri Lanka. And he coined this phrase, and I think it's just beautiful, and I think it's something that we need to hear as we begin to embrace the ordinary call that God has given us. He says this, he says, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread.
And that's the mission we've been given. So are you missionaries? Yes. Each and every one of you. You're missionaries right where you are. Let's pray.